0: program for Iowa has been much different the
1: last three years than it was, say, 2002 through, through 2004. 2002 through 4 they're winning 10 plus games a season. And this program went to four straight New Year's Day bowl games, and we just don't get the feel that this offense is providing any sort of threat down the field in the passing game.
0: First and 10 at the 11 at the Christensen Smuck. For a fresh set of downs and now he slants one into the end zone for a touchdown to trey we well talk about a quick wake-up call for the hawkeyes after the interception they take it over 80 yards for a touchdown
1: to get on the board i mean it was looking like this game was in the locker and now all of a
2: sudden Iowa with an extra point here, it's a two score game. Plenty of time left. Hello Hawkeye fans, this is John Patchett and welcome to the weekly football podcast from HawkeyesMike.com. The game action is courtesy of ESPN on ABC. Iowa lost its 8th consecutive Big Ten football game and its 4th loss this season to Penn State Saturday 27-7. The game was played before a nationwide television audience and a crowd of 109,000 at Beaver Stadium. Unfortunately, Iowa's offense showed no improvement, struggled throughout most of the game, ultimately really turned in an embarrassing performance. Most of Iowa's 194 total yards came in the fourth quarter. The defense gave up several critical big plays, particularly as the game wore on, spending too much time on the field once again as the offense failed to sustain any meaningful drives. The punting game did show some improvement. With this loss, Iowa's consecutive losses now equal an entire Big Ten season, and the Hawks definitely won't be favored in their next two games this week against Illinois and next week at Purdue. Let's take a look at some selected offensive statistics from the Penn State game and through the first six games of this season. At Penn State, Iowa had only 54 yards and two first downs through the first three quarters. In fact, in the third quarter, Iowa had only one yard of offense. The Hawks were three and out on eight consecutive offensive series, and only two of 14 series lasted more than five plays. They were three of 16 in third down conversions. Iowa also continued to struggle in its first offensive series, of games this season, failing to score at Penn State, just as they failed to score in all six games so far. And what's more alarming is that over the last 10 games, when the Hawks don't score first, they are only two and eight. The 2007 season is now halfway over. Let's look at some of the offensive statistics through the first six games. Iowa is last in the Big Ten in the following categories. Scoring offense, total offense, first downs, rushing offense, third down conversions, and sacks against. The Hawks are also 10th in pass offense and 9th in pass efficiency. Nationally, Iowa is 106th in total offense. The sacks against have resulted in 136 yards in losses over those 25 sacks. There were 5 sacks in the Penn State game. Of special note in the Big Ten statistics this far through the season, there is a 60-yard difference in average yards per game between the 1st and 10th place Big Ten teams, but there is an 87-yard difference between 10th place and Iowa. Also, there is a 10% difference in 3rd down conversions between 1st place and 10th place in the Big Ten, but another 10% difference between 10th place and the Hawks. I don't see any way you can sugarcoat the play of the offense. It's literally a nightmare. It continues to be embarrassing. It's really inexcusable because regardless of the youth and the injuries and the suspensions, and there definitely are those factors, these kinds of offensive statistics are mind-blowing. Iowa shouldn't be this bad. Something or some combination of things is clearly wrong on the offensive side of the ball with all of these problems. You also don't see much in the way so far of mid-season adjustments or in some of these games, even coherent offensive game plans. The offensive woes are compounding Iowa's problems because they are beginning to it. impact the defense as well, and earlier in every game, as it just places more stress on the entire defense. Witness Mitch King's post-game comment following Penn State about Iowa now needing to pitch a shutout in every game they play in order to have a chance to win. Other interesting statistics, Iowa is now 3-10 in their last 10 games, and remember two of those wins were against Northern Illinois. Equally alarming is that Iowa is 6-5 in Kinnick Stadium since the 2005 loss to Michigan, a loss to Illinois this Saturday would mean the Hawks are only a 500 team in their own home over the past two and a half years. While most Iowa fans continue to have faith in Kirk Ferentz, although he may be viewed as a little too stubborn, there's a growing sense that significant changes have to be made with the assistant coaches in order to allow Iowa to regain a competitive edge both on the field and in recruiting. Ferentz has major accomplishments at Iowa, accomplishments he can be very proud of, but the problems that are now going on for nearly three years increasingly appear to be a trend Iowa's defense in the nation in the top 10 in scoring defense and total defense
0: coming into today they're plus 5 in the giveaway takeaway ratio but I'll give you a number David that jumped off the page at me with Iowa struggles on offense coming into today the Hawkeyes have 10 takeaways through their first five games. They scored 20 points off the 10 takeaways. You have to average more than two points per takeaway, unless you're intercepting balls in your own end zone and stopping the other team from scoring over and over again. That's just not productive enough with those
1: turnovers on offense. The Hawkeye defense, definitely the strength of this team. And you could make an argument that they're not gonna get a lot of help, at least with the injuries on the outside. Players like Milwaukee, Brodell, Bowman, all gone. This might be the least potent offense in the Big Ten when you talk about the Iowa Hawkeyes. So this defense, they're going to have to shoulder a very heavy
2: load throughout the
1: Big Ten season.
2: A quick review of the game notes and stats. Iowa won the coin toss at Penn State and deferred for the first time since a 2003 game at Michigan State. The defense did get on the field first, ultimately stopped Penn State after recovering a fumble, but Iowa's offense stuttered once again after making one first down. It was three and out. In fact, Iowa has now not scored on its opening drive in any of its first six games this year and in fact hasn't scored on an opening drive since the 2006 opener. Punter Ryan Donahue showed improvement. He had a good average on the day, 45.2 on 11 punts. Of course, that's also the bad news. There were 11 punts. Running back Albert Young carried the ball 13 times for only 44 yards, but that was enough to move him past Tony Stewart and into fifth place in Hawkeye career rushing. Iowa came into this game with just five turnovers, seventh in the nation, and they did not have a single turnover in the Penn State game. The problem, however, is they aren't getting any points off of those turnovers. On the defensive side of the ball, linebacker Mike Humpel recorded 12 tackles, defensive lineman Matt Kroll collected 10, and Mitch King and Adam Shada had seven stops each. King also had two sacks and a forced fumble. Taking a look at some of the specific statistics, first downs, Iowa had only 8 to Penn State's 26. Net yards rushing, 48 for the Hawks, 256 for the Nittany Lions. Net yards passing, 146 for Iowa, 233 for Penn State. And total offensive yards, a huge disparity, 489 for Penn State to 194 for Iowa. Offensive plays, big difference there too. Iowa ran only 57 to Penn State's 82. Possession time, again, a huge disparity, over 36 minutes for Penn State. State 23 38 for the Hawks. Third down conversions, another major problem for the Hawks, 3 of 16 to 9 of 17 for Penn State, and Iowa again gave up 5 sacks. Taking a look at the season statistics overall, third down conversions, a major problem for the Hawks, only 28 of 96 for the season, that's a 29% conversion rate, and Iowa's given up 25 sacks for a total of 136 in lost yards. One positive note Iowa has now
3: not been shut out in 87 conversions. Consecutive games. Today's Hawkeyes Mike program is made possible in part by The Lodge Apartments in Iowa City, the finest in student living, your home away from home. Call 319 358 3500 or go to www.thelodge at ui.com. And by Morgan Stanley, Financial Advisors of Curlville. Call 319 338 5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs.
2: These football programs come to you weekly during the entire season. This week, once again, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and Pat Hardy's opinions, and we'll also hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your opinions each week by calling 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. Let's hear what the coaches have to say about Saturday's game against Illinois. First, Coach Ferentz talks about the Illini.
4: You know, we're playing an excellent football team in Illinois. Uh, obviously, they're having a very successful year. Uh, I don't think it comes as a major surprise. Uh, you know, if you're paying attention, uh, this is a ball club that t- had a lot of, uh, you know, veteran guys a year or a week or a year ago when we played them. And many of those guys are back from uh, uh, last season. So I guess my point there is a lot of these guys have two years' experience. I think the other thing they've done, they've done a nice job of bringing some younger players along. Last year played a freshman quarterback, true freshman quarterback. Pa- paid for it a little bit in terms of uh, turnovers and what have you, but it's, it's paying off for him now. He's doing an excellent job of uh, directing their offense. And then they've added uh, a guy or two, most notably the receivers. done a great job of giving them uh, some, some juice on, uh, on both offense and special teams. So uh, you're looking at a team that's got a lot of veteran players that have played very, very well. Uh, they've got a good mix of young guys in there helping them out, supplementing them. And I think that's really showing up on their special teams. Uh, they are good in special teams. Their specialists are doing a good job. And uh, they're, they're just uh, they're playing very good. It's not a fluke that they're uh, 3-0 and in the league or that they've won uh, five straight. They're playing very well. Uh, they've got a lot of momentum going right now. And it's it's going to be a great challenge for our football team. And uh, so we've got that, that task ahead of us. Uh, and then most immediately, I think, for us,
2: uh, certainly is our improvement. Barron's talks about how difficult it is to defense Illinois with their option attack.
4: They, they are you know, more of an option team than anything else if, if you're going to start anywhere. That, that's what uh, I think how you describe them. And uh, they've got a big strong guy running, running the ball, running the offense back there. And they've got an excellent running back in Mendenhall. So you know, those, those two things alone, uh, you know, it's a pretty good, uh, two pretty good weapons. They've got a veteran offensive line that's playing well. And the receivers do a good job blocking. You know, they're good in the passing game too. But they do a nice job blocking. So they they've posed problems for everybody. They're really running the ball well. They're they're a, a good run team. And conversely, they're a good run defensive football team on the other side. And you know, they're doing a good job of that last year. They very few teams ran the ball well against them a year ago. So you know, they're they're,
2: they're a tough matchup. Coach was asked if he sees any progress over the past few weeks.
4: Well, oh, up and down, you know, up and down. At uh, times, like I said, I, I thought for the first 27 minutes the other day, we were, we were playing, playing pre- pretty well. It had a real unfortunate series of plays there, and, and unfortunately, a couple of them came on third and down. I think three of them were on third down situations, so you know, we weren't able to, to get over that hump. You know, the, the complexion of the game changed pretty rapidly at that stage, but uh, yeah, we're, we're doing some good things, and we're. I don't think it's as bleak as it may appear, but that being said, we've got a lot to work on.
2: And Ference talks about the difficulty to remain competitive in the Big Ten.
4: I think if you study our conference, any, anybody's got an opportunity. And uh, since, you know, since 81, basically everybody's had opportunities to win. You know, 13 years prior to that, uh, it was kind of a closed, uh, closed case. But uh, since that time, everybody's, for the most part, been in contention, had an opportunity to be in contention. And uh, you know, if that's what everybody's trying to do. Uh, I, I don't know if it's anything in particular. It's just it's a tough conference. You know, we've got a conference with uh, good coaches, good players, uh, good teams, and, and good institutions. So from a recruiting standpoint, I think all of us have, have good products to sell. You know, so it's a tough league. But it, it's, it, it's been that way since '81. I don't think there's any any dramatic change that I've noticed, at least in my time. I missed nine years, but uh, I looked at it from afar, and the '90s didn't look a lot different to me than what's going on now
2: or or in the '80s. Coach Ron Zuck is leading a resurgent Illinois team to a good season so far. He talks about the Iowa game.
5: Uh, obviously we're excited about where we're at, but understand that uh, in going to to Iowa to play a very good Iowa football team in a very hostile environment, it's going to be important that our football team continues to to do the things that we've done to get to this point and, uh, and we're excited about this opportunity uh, to play this team because they are good. It's a football team that you know, we haven't uh, had much success with since we've been here and so it's gonna be important that we uh, once again prepare the same way that we've prepared the last, uh, the last uh, few weeks.
2: Zook also talks about why Illinois is difficult to defend.
5: And I've said this from the, from the very beginning that one of the things that we've, we've done offensively uh, since I've become a head coach is do the things that, that, that I don't like as a defensive coach to see. And, uh, you know, the, it gives you more things that you have to be prepared for and, and look at. And, and uh, uh, once again, it, it hopefully uh, can. It, I know with us sometimes it limits the, the amount of defense that we can actually take into a game. And uh, so, you know, that's one of the things. You know, when you, when you look at Iowa, for example, they're not going to do a whole lot. They're just going to line up, and that's why probably they play such great defense.
2: Zuck was asked how he gets his team up after two great home victories and facing an Iowa team that's coming off of four straight defeats
5: and and, and obviously you rely on your leadership that fellas hey look you know we've been in the, over there before you know we haven't beaten this team uh, since we've been here uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a very very good football team that could just as easily be four and two as is anything in a drop of a hat and, and and if we don't prepare if we don't practice if we don't go over there mentally, uh, the same way we've done the last two weeks, then then everything that's happened for us will be for nothing. And and the thing as a coaching staff, we're trying to do is just make sure that you know, that we give us give ourselves the best opportunity, the
2: best chance. Zuck thinks they're going to get the best the Hawks have to offer.
5: Well, I, you know, I, I think it's a perfect it's a perfect uh, statement that you just made. There, I, there's no doubt in our minds. We're going to get Iowa's best game. Uh, they're backed up a corner. They're a good football team. They're capable of put, playing with anybody in the country. And, and, and we will definitely get their best game this week.
2: Following our first caller, you'll hear from former Hawkeye All-American and All-Pro tight end, Marv Cook.
6: Hi, this is Mark from West Des Moines. Um, a lot of Hawkeye fans right now are critical of the Hawkeye football. Clearly we're not playing well, and the team is, is not the team that most people expected to see this year. I don't want to pile on and criticize the Hawkeyes anymore, but I would like to take on some of the fans and some of their behavior now that the Hawks have hit a rough spot. You know, there are even fans talking about firing Kirk Ferentz, the only coach to take Iowa to three top ten finishes in the uh, polls. And I think some fans got deluded by that success, deluded into believing that that's what's to be expected. Um, it's not. Here's some perspective. Iowa had 20 non-winning football seasons before Hayden Fry took over. Iowa isn't a Michigan or an Ohio State or a Penn State with decades of tradition and and a rich in-state recruiting base. Iowa has to fight for whatever we get. This year just shows how fine the line is between success and failure at Iowa. You know, we all, we Iowa fans think Iowa's a very special place, but we're really no different than Minnesota or Illinois or Michigan State or Purdue or any other team in the Big Ten or other BCS conferences that have their up years and their down years. And for the fans griping about Ferentz earning $2.8 million a year, I think you lost your chance to gripe about that when the contract was extended to him. At that time, everyone wanted Kurt Ferentz's contract extended, and we paid big bucks uh, to keep him here, to match pro contracts, not college contracts, because that's where everybody thought Kirk Ferentz may eventually be headed. So I think Hawkeye fans have got to buck up here a little bit. Kirk Ferentz has brought us success before, and he will in the future. It just doesn't happen every year. we got to weather this year and hope that the learning process we're going through right now reaps us some dividends with experience in the next couple years.
3: HawkeyesMike.com. something new. It's sports talk radio on the internet, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. We want to welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly stint on HawkeyesMike.com. Marv, we
2: thought we'd focus on the offense this week, and we've already talked about some of the offensive stats. What do you think of Ken O'Keefe's offense at this point in the season and whether or not it really has an identity?
7: You know, I, I think it's searching. It's definitely trying to search and see what they what their what their strengths are, what they can hang their hat on. And and unfortunately, now you get into the Big Ten schedule, it's it gets more difficult. Unfortunately, everything worked against Northern Illinois and Syracuse, but uh, as you get in the Big Ten schedule, these defenses are getting pretty solid. And um, I mean, offensively, we're just having trouble making the plays when we need to make plays. So I mean, I think it's it's, it's it's it is an offense looking to find what its identity is. Historically, we've been a running team that then sets up the play action pass. But the problem is we've been mediocre running the ball and then that doesn't lead to a good passing game.
2: Do you recall ever being involved in, in a game really at any level where you only had two first downs through three quarters or these kinds of offensive stats overall?
7: I'm sure I have at some point in my career and uh, I know how frustrating it was as a fan but it was probably even more so frustrating as a player. But uh, You know, I I was listening to the radio of the game and, you know, it basically said we had our eighth punt midway through the second quarter and I was amazed at how quick we had eight punts off. So, obviously we were struggling with our offensive production early, but, um, you know, it's, I mean, you still look up in the third quarter, we still got a chance. Our defense did a nice job of keeping us in the game. So, we need to find playmakers. We need to find guys that can make plays. The day of the 15 play drives, the old 49ers, Washington Redskins, you know, three yards and cloud of dust and, and move the chains type mentality. Unfortunately, is giving way to these spread offenses, these big play, explosive, you know, score quick offenses. And unfortunately, we just don't seem to have that punch right now.
2: This coaching staff continues to seem to struggle with adjusting their offensive philosophy to the team and the players and the talent they have right now. As a coach, at what point in the season or before the season do you assess your talent and then make necessary adjustments to your offensive approach?
7: You have to do that every year. I think you have to do that every uh, week. I don't know what coach I heard it from, but what you do is you play to your strengths and you try to hide your weaknesses. Obviously, each player's got different strengths and you've got to try to find plays that will highlight those strengths and, and then also hide the weaknesses. I think that's what, if I learned anything from Bill Parcells, that's what I learned. I mean, there were certain times when a, a rookie would come into the, the league and he was extremely talented, but extremely you know, limited as far as the knowledge of the offense. So Coach Par- Parcells would basically just tell him, hey, you're gonna do these three to five things. That's it. That's all I'm gonna ask you to do when I go in, when you go in the game, I expect you to do them really, really well. And that's what guys did. And I think that's what, I think that's what the game has become. Uh, I think that's why guys like Tim Dwight play 10 years in the NFL. It becomes a specialist type of game where if you can do one or two things great, that's what you should be doing on the, on the field, you know, like I said, you try to hide the weaknesses.
2: We've seen Jake continue to struggle essentially with the same thing, some of his fundamentals. He's really shown very little improvement and at least to some of us it appears that the offensive coordinator, Ken O'Keefe, continues to call plays that don't continually put Jake in a position to succeed.
7: Yeah, I think they're trying. I think they're trying different things. I just think right now, like I said, I mean, I, I don't think that you know they're able to get guys in a situation to be successful. Unfortunately, I mean, I think there's times when you know, I mean, the Myers guy at tight end, there's certain things he's got to be able to do really well. We need to try to get run those plays that get the ball to him. We need to try to run plays that get the ball to, to Albert Young out of the backfield, Damian Sims out of the backfield. You know, you'd like to see those guys get the ball in space, but I think they're trying to do those things, trying to develop. But they've, I mean, their offense is built about running the ball. I mean, it's kind of like Wisconsin. We've been able to have success for the last 10 years kind of doing that. Once you get accustomed to doing something like that and have a lot of success, but it's hard to get away from it.
2: Jake's fundamentals do seem bad right now, and they're showing no improvement. Do you think he's just getting harassed too much back there, or what's going on? Why wouldn't some coaching help? And, you know, at Iowa, O'Keefe doubles his duties as offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. Do you think something Kirk should consider is hiring a designated quarterback coach?
7: That's a good question. You know, just from my experience at the high school level, it is tough to... To coach, and then have the responsibility of being the offensive coordinator. Uh, you're trying to come up with game plans and how to attack certain defenses from a running game and passing game standpoint. And I do know that takes away from the fundamentals, the actual segment of each practice, getting to the core of what the quarterbacks need to be doing or the receivers need to be doing. And uh, obviously, it wasn't a problem when Brad Banks was here. Brad Banks was here. It wasn't a problem when we had that rotation. So I think a lot of it is, is just you have a young guy that's, you know, it's his first year as a starter, and uh, he's struggling because
2: of that. When do you think you might make a quarterback change?
7: That's, I mean, obviously that's always a question that comes up when a team's struggling. And I think that's something you always have to take into consideration, but you also have to realize what do you have behind it? Now, if you've got someone that's a complete opposite, a complete set of characteristics to the table, I think that makes sense. Uh, but a lot of times if your if you're second string or third string that guy is very, very similar, it's probably gonna have the same problems that the first string guy has, then that's probably not an issue where you wanna, uh, you wanna keep de- developing the guy you think is the future. Unless you have somebody that's, you know, brings a different element of the offense to the to the equation, then I, I don't think it makes sense at that point.
2: Going back to recruiting for a minute, we keep hearing that Jake is far and away the best quarterback the team has right now from those people who see practice. Why would that be the case? I mean, why would there be that big of a drop off between your number one and your number two, or your number two and your number three? If that's
7: the case. That's I mean that's evaluation and recruiting. And um, you know, I mean I think this is that class that we had. We had a big, you know, four and five star recruits, Mowiaki and Christensen were part of that class. We had a bunch of those guys that came in that were highly recruited and that's evaluation. But uh, this is that time when those guys should be stepping up and making big plays for us. But uh I mean, a lot of it was when Jake Christensen was here, I'm sure a lot of the other quarterbacks kind of shied away from coming to Iowa because they kinda of knew Jake was a big recruit and so maybe that had a part to do with it. Great teams and good teams have depth at every position. You know, they They don't have to worry about, well, if this guy goes down, you know, we don't have anybody. I mean, so depth is very, very important. You know, I mean, I'd hate to think that the coverage bare, you know, from a standpoint that if someone gets hurt, we don't have, you know, bodies ready to step in and and do the job. So, uh, you know, I, I really haven't got a good feeling of the depth at the quarterback position to make a fair assessment of that.
2: We continue to hear rumblings that there is some sense on the offensive side of the ball in particular that the coaching staff is losing the team or some of the players What would be the signs of that happening? Do you think that's happening?
7: Yeah, you know, I don't understand, I don't know the inner workings of what's going on. I mean, we talked about this in one of our other segments that a lot of times you see a breakdown and it may look like the tackle busted, but the back went the wrong way or, or vice versa. So you really don't know exactly what the breakdown of the play was. But all you know is that the, the offensive production is just not good enough. Uh, and I look at, you know, Damian Sims and Albert Young as guys that are good enough to, to do good things on offense. And I look at our offensive line as guys that should be good enough to move some people around. And Myers and Moiyaki and some of our other skills guys i mean there should be something there that we should be able to to build on and to have some success with we just haven't been able to do it so signs that you know staff would be losing a team would be Visible frustration, you know, personal fouls, complacency, lack of you know, lack of concentration, substitution errors, things like that. Uh, and I haven't seen that yet, so I don't think that's the case.
2: As a coach, what would you try to do?
7: You know, I, I would just be bringing in the, the mindset that Kirk Parents brings to the table. Is is the success of Iowa is built on the details. You know, it's the sum of the parts type thing, and it's not about just showing up on Saturday. It's all the little things you do. It's the Sunday weightlifting session. It's the Monday film session. It's the Monday practice. Having it be the big picture of this is how it was done. Uh, uh, going back and looking at years past of, of the success that the team was able to have doing the same process, the process does work if you buy into it. You get the players to play hard and commit and get into it. Just try to get back into that mentality. I mean, I just I, I'm one of those guys that refuse to believe it's a talent issue. I, I'm one of those guys that refuse to believe it's a, a an injury issue. There's something else there that's caused a problem.
2: You know, Mitch King made a very interesting comment in the post-game interviews following the Penn State game. He basically said that the defense has to pitch a shutout every game for Iowa to have any chance to win. Do you think that indicates a growing frustration on the defensive side of the ball with the offense? And can that create tension in a team? And also, doesn't that really put incredible pressure on the defense to succeed?
7: Oh, uh, well, obviously that's not, yeah, I mean that's that's a sign of frustration. But you gotta understand, that's a that's a guy that, if you talk of a guy that plays with every ounce of every part of his body for every game, that's a guy that does it. And, and wholeheartedly, I think if you have 11 Mitch Kings on the field at that point, if you got 11 guys pulling that same direction, you will be successful. You know, Mitch King's a guy that I, I admire as a fan, watching, and that's the way I believe the game should be played. And I wholeheartedly believe if you get 10, 11 guys that play with that, that mentality, that intensity, you will be a good football team. Uh, now, whether you're a great team or not is de- depending on how good your talent is, but you got to love the way Mitch King plays the game. And so, anytime that Mitch King says something, I would be very, very respectful to and, and, and take to heart what his comments are.
2: And thinking back on that Penn State game, did you see any improvement at all?
7: I mean, Penn State's a talented team. Penn State's an athletic team, you know, and they got good players over there. So, the fact that we were able to play on the field with them, being late in the third quarter still in the game, is, is something that the team can build on and look at as, you know, so it's not that much. I mean, it's not like, you know, the difference between three and eight and eight and three at major college isn't that much of a difference. I mean, it's, you know, we talked about one time, it's four or five plays here and there. And what you find is the good teams get on top of those plays and the bad teams don't. So it's it goes back to the details things that we're talking about, the attention to details and special teams and offense and defense and all that stuff, blitz pickup. And unfortunately now in college football, in pro football and high school football, blitz pickup is a set, is a segment of practice that you have to account for every single week because everybody brings these different blitzes at you. It brings you different looks and they can cause you problems if you're not prepared and not ready to pick them up. You know, the fact that, like I said, we were on the field, on the road at Penn State, we were on the field, on the road at Wisconsin and played competitively is something that says this isn't that bad. You know, the fact that we're not winning is the bad issue uh, and this is just a team that's got to find a way to win.
2: What's your sense of the team's overall development and performance at this point?
7: Overall development, you know, it's just slow. And like I said, I mean, unfortunately, the first part of the game, first part of the season, we played two teams that probably aren't very good. And we probably maybe thought we were progressing along the lines of, well, we're, yeah, we're developing, we're developing, but yet we weren't playing very good football teams. You know, now as you get into the Big Ten season, if you're not developing every day and getting better every single day, then someone's moving by you. Coach Frazier taught us that a long time ago, if you're not getting better, if you're not doing something to get better, then you're getting worse. You know, I just don't think the team's evolving as quickly as, as what we thought we were early on. You know, that's what's causing the problem.
2: Okay, we ask this nearly every week. Realistically, based on what you've seen so far, where do you expect Iowa to finish the season?
7: I I think this is a team that can still win every game that they play. But they can also lose every game that they play. I mean, I think you know they've proven that to some extent. I think what they need is, in their mind, some sort of sign that yeah, we're, this is going to work. You know, this we can do this. And until they get that, I think they're going to struggle. You know, I mean, it's just a matter of going on. If you get that win, okay, this is what it feels like. We remember this is how you got to do it, and then that'll be a big catalyst for them. But until they get that first win, I think it's going to be tough for them.
2: If, as many fans believe, we're going to end up 3 and 9, or maybe 4 and 8, how do you think the assistant coaches will be evaluated, and and how do you think Barta will interact with Ferrans in that evaluation and process? You know, I don't know
7: how Coach Ferrans does that. I don't know what his process is. I, I think all is an evaluate. I think you know you don't wait until the season's over. A lot of times, a lot of things, a lot of times things happen during the season that make you evaluate it quicker. You know, a lot of the call-in shows this week were somewhat critical, but that there's still a, a portion that realizes you know just three or four years ago we did go to four straight January one bowl games. You, you know, things do work in cycles. You just hope that the cycles are short-lived. Uh, you hope that you're able to snap back quickly with those cycles. I mean, unfortunately, I think Ohio State, Michigan, who are always considered the preeminent top, Ohio State looks like the cream right now of that level, but you know, you see how quick Illinois turns it around. I mean, Illinois, you know, two or three years ago was 0-11 or 0-12. Something in the Big Ten, but when Zook came in, it's been about two years under Zook, and all of a sudden now they've got a team that's you know going to have to be contended with. So I think you know you do have cycles, but you you know the good teams will turn the cycle around within a year, year and a half, two years. We're in a pretty good funk right now. we the last Big Ten, you know, our Big Ten record the last eight or nine games isn't very good.
2: If you were in charge, what kinds of things would you consider doing?
7: I'm I'm a realist, and I there's. A lot of workings, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes and uh, Coach Ferentz is obviously a phenomenal coach and has done a great job here with his, with his tenure here at Iowa and, and what he's done has been successful. I mean, obviously, this is, like I said, this is that year and a half, two year stretch where it hasn't been very successful and it's we've struggled and at times have looked pretty bad, but looking at the whole as a whole, you know, he's done a great job.
2: We haven't seen any indication of Gary Barda uh, interacting with Ference in terms of offering suggestions or advice during the season. But as a coach, would you welcome that kind of input from your athletic director?
7: Yeah. I mean, it's the boss. I mean, that's technically your boss. And, you know, especially if the if the athletic director is a knowledgeable guy about, you know, about the game, about football, yeah, you would always appreciate good feedback. Uh, constructive criticism is always good as long as it's constructive criticism and, and input. and. I've always said it's always good to know what people are thinking and then you can take that information and do what you want with it. It's just when you don't know what the other person is thinking, that's what's most frustrating. So I always think it's good to get input from your athletic director, see what he's thinking and then explaining your side of the story and the way you see it. As the head coach, you're, you're the guy. You're the one that's ultimately responsible for the wins and the losses. You get you know, you know, get credit for the wins, you get credit for the losses, you get blamed for the losses, I should say. At the end of the day, as the head coach, you have to be the one that makes the decision. You have to live with those decisions. So Coach Ference is a strong conviction guy that believes he's doing it the right way, and uh, you know his way is going to work, and that's what he'll do.
2: What are your keys to the Illinois game?
7: Keeping it close, not letting them get into a, a, a track meet. With Illinois because Illinois's got athletes. so I mean, we've got to keep it under control, keep it in check, not let their offense get running because if they, that offense gets going that spread offense with you know juice and, and the running back I mean they can get it can get out of control quickly. They've got more athletes than Indiana had. I mean, Indiana had a couple good athletes. Illinois has got more athletes than Indiana has, so it's going to be a great challenge for our defense to try to keep those guys in check. That's the key to me, is just to make sure we keep it close, that if we can get up early on them, that would be huge. If we get behind and let Illinois get to run in their game and their style of play, it could be a long day.
2: Any other thoughts, Mar?
7: The the one thing that I always look for, and the one thing that I think is great about Iowa football, is I I kind of always said we're the Chicago Cubs of college football. As long as the players go out and play hard, play intense, give everything they got every single snap, the Iowa fans, for the most part, will be pretty appreciative and pretty happy. That's the one thing that I just want to keep seeing. I want to keep seeing guys like Mitch King laying on the line for the full time they're out there. And if they do that and they go three and eight, that's fine with me, as long as they're doing what they need to be doing, as long as they're doing games that I think are going to give them a chance to win and be successful. Sometimes you don't win. I mean, sometimes you can play your best football and you're just not good enough to win. That's the way the game works sometimes. But uh, as long as they go out and keep playing hard, keep playing physical, tough football, representing Iowa, you know, both on and off the football field, then I don't have any problems.
2: Another call, then coming up, award-winning Iowa City Press Citizen sports reporter and columnist Pat Hardy. Hey,
5: this is Mitch T from Iowa City, and I'm calling in. I think it's a little too much to ask for a win, even though it's possible. But uh, what I'd like to see is just each individual make some improvements. And I think if even just a few of the people improve, mostly Christensen or anybody, I just want to see improvement. I want to see him take steps forward. It seems like we're not really progressing and I don't really like that. So as long as, even if they're just baby steps, as long as there's just some improvement, that'll be a good sign. I want to see the players make improvements. I want to see the team improve overall. And I want to see him at least put up a fight.
1: I I like the fight in this kid. And they're not gonna pick up a W. He's not gonna lead his team to a victory. That goes to a Penn State team, a well-deserving group of Nittany Lions. But Jake Christensen, he impressed me in a situation where he faced a lot of adversity on the road today.
0: Iowa coming into today was last in the Big Ten and sacks allowed and they have added five to that total the Hawkeyes have given up 25 sacks of Jake Christensen through their first six games that's a lot of times for your quarterback, not just David, to get hit, but to actually go down.
1: I don't think it's all on the offensive line either. Granted, they have not gotten jersey on jersey and gotten this defensive front block throughout the game. But he's going to need some more work and effectiveness by these wide receivers down the field. He did not see a lot of open receivers.
3: Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks. Be among the first to make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 74 hawks to express your opinions and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts
2: we welcome back pat hardy you can read pat's articles in the press citizen and on hawk central pat how would you characterize ken o'keefe's offense at this point in the season what kind of an identity does it have Oh, I'd say it has an identity. It's
8: just a unfavorable identity. They're very predictable. It's usually three plays and out. They usually run left, run right, short pass route, very little time to pass. But yeah, there's definitely an identity. They're trying to be a running team without a passing attack, and by doing so, they're neither.
2: Have you ever seen a team at Iowa with these kinds of offensive stats?
8: I'm trying to think back to 1999. I think it was close, but I think in '99 they ran the ball better with Liddell Betts, so they did have a little better running attack, but no, I don't remember an offense where it was just so hard just to complete a pass.
2: You still think it's a matter of the coaches having succeeded before and being too stubborn to change now in in terms of uh, adjusting their offensive philosophy to the talent they currently have on the team?
8: Well, I think that's hard to say because without being able to look at other programs, I think what the coaches are doing, I think they still feel that they can get work through this I think they're so focused on the next challenge they don't look at the big picture like fans are doing during a slump and I think they think that the offense that they've used in the past will eventually work again and that's just the kind of football Kirk Ferentz preaches is he wants to run the ball, he wants to pass probably 40% of the time and I just don't see them changing that.
2: It's obvious that Jake continues to struggle at quarterback and essentially struggling with the same things and he's shown really little or no improvement. Many ask why Ken O'Keefe doesn't call more plays that appear to put Jake in a better position to succeed.
8: Well I think a big part of it is the inability of the offensive line to sustain anything. They never dominate, they never win the battle in the trenches anymore and to me when the offensive line breaks down, the whole offense breaks down. I think with Christensen, I don't think he's a great quarterback and I don't, I'm don't. i not even sure if he ever will be a good quarterback, but it's kind of hard to really give him a fair assessment right now because rarely does he have enough time to do anything. At times it looks like the receivers run broken routes, I think the whole offense is discombobulated but it starts to me with the offensive line.
2: Do you think given the struggles at quarterback and he could benefit as the other quarterbacks could from a coach specifically designated to be a quarterback coach?
8: No, I don't think so. Because I think, I mean, you can't just make new job descriptions just when a when a program's going through problems. I think that Jake's fundamentals, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's constantly on the run, he doesn't have a lot of time to pass, but I also think Jake is what he is. I mean, I I, I think maybe some people got misled by Jake's high school stats and maybe thought he was just gonna be a lot better than he is, but he's an undersized, not very elusive quarterback who's got an average arm, and I think right now, he's the kind of quarterback who, if he had a great supporting cast, I think could be fine, but right now with a very questionable supporting cast, he's not the kind of kid who can do a lot on his own but I don't think they need a quarterback coach. I think that's a little bit too dramatic right now. I would rather have them maybe change up some things on offense during the offseason.
2: Do you foresee a quarterback
8: change anytime soon? It's hard for me to say. I would have probably done it by now but I'm not at practice every day so I don't know the gap between Jake and the two guys behind him. I would have done it by now because the offense is horrible but the coaches obviously know more than I do because they're at practice every day so what's that say about the guys behind Jake?
2: Those close to the team insist that Jake is far and away the best quarterback Iowa has. Do you attribute that if there is that kind of a drop-off in talent to recruiting or coaching or what? It's
8: recruiting. It always goes back to recruiting. I think that Arville Nelson and Rick Stange were from Ohio but I don't think it's a coincidence that neither one were recruited by Ohio State or Michigan. I think that shows you that it was another kind of sleeper recruit that Iowa took a chance on both of them, hoping that maybe the fact that they came from Ohio might help. They're both still young. I'll give them that, they're only redshirt freshmen, but I think of Arville Nelson, like everyone seems to think he's the heir apparent. If he was that great, and they were based on how much they're struggling, I don't think they would have moved him to receiver, because they're not using him at receiver right now either. So I think Jake is the best at what they got right now, and the fact that that is, to me, boils down to recruiting.
2: Well, at least in the Penn State game, we- We finally deferred after we won the coin toss and let the defense take the field.
8: Well, they took a step against Penn State by deferring and letting the defense get out there, but that's to me, that's just delaying the inevitable. I, I don't know how they can address it during the season because there's really no time to make dramatic changes. I just They could possibly try to use more of the spread offense, but I don't think they have the receivers to do that. They can't run the ball. I'm not sure what they can do. I think the best thing they can do is put the defense on the field first and just not take the ball first. And Coach Ferentz keeps talking about how sooner or later it's going to pop for him on offense, but I just don't see it happening this year.
2: There are rumblings and rumors that there's some sense that on the offensive side of the ball, at least, that the coaching staff could be struggling to keep this team. I don't see any signs of it. I know the Trey Strauss argument
8: with Eric Johnson. I think that was an isolated incident. If there is stuff going on, I've heard rumors, but it's hard for me to substantiate anything, and being a newspaper guy, you don't like to really comment on that stuff unless you know there's some real truth to it. Every team during losing streaks, you're going to hear there's some problems internally and what have you. People get upset when they lose they're around each other all the time but i find it hard to believe that coach ferentz in just two or three short years has lost control of the program i just I'm, I'm not ready to say it's that bad yet
2: mitch king was quoted after the penn state game as saying that iowa's defense essentially has to pitch a shutout every game for the the hawks to have any chance to win is that frustration is that likely to get worse will that create tensions on the team i think it does show some
8: frustration but I and I think Mitch King is by far the best defensive player and probably the best player they have on the team right now he's the most productive most consistent but the offense was horrible I'll say that the defense became tired, but Penn State converted on over 60% of their third down plays. They rushed for over 200 yards. The Iowa defense le- leaves a lot to be desired. Mitch King is a warrior, like I said. They do a good job against power teams of holding the run for a while, but they eventually wear down. They're susceptible to big plays, but that is frustration coming out there, and I think it o- that's this kind of thing that can only get worse. I mean, it's after a while, these guys, they want to say the right things, they want to do the right things, but when you're dealing with the same stuff and over and over, it can be a problem.
2: You wrote a great column last Sunday about the offensive line woes, and you also talked about recruiting and, and evaluation of talent and that sort of thing, but talk a little bit more about the offensive line.
8: Yeah, let me start first with the mistake I had in there. I had that Raphael Eubanks was a junior, and I meant to say Dace Richardson. For some reason, I mentioned Raphael Eubanks as two of the juniors. What The point I was trying to get across, and I'll even say this with Raphael Eubanks, he's a third-year sophomore, nearing the end of his second year as a starter. Seth Olson is a fourth-year junior. They're not totally inexperienced on the offensive line. Some of their sophomores are third-year guys. I just think they're not not—they're not developing linemen like they did two or three years ago, and I do find the Dan Doring thing to be strange. I don't know. Iowa rarely gets the first or second best high school lineman in the country. They finally get them, and neither one, Blake Larson or Dan Doring, can even get on the field, so I don't know if it's just a coincidence that they happen to find the only five-star offensive lineman in the country. That's not very good because given the performance of the offensive line and how highly recruited Dan Doring was, I find it one of the mysteries on this year's team and I just think the offensive line I grossly overrated it based on the Northern Illinois game because let's face it they stink they got beat by Temple I think the offensive line is just to me that's a real trouble spot because they're not getting
2: better at all. And looking back on last Saturday's game did you see any improvement? Yeah the punter
8: Ryan Donahue the punter finally showed why he was a U.S. hit day high school first-team All-American 45-yard average but more importantly four of those punts were downed inside the 20-yard line so I think with him you can see it coming.
2: And how would you grade out the team right now in terms of its overall development and performance at this point in the season? Bad, bad. I'd give them a D minus. I don't, right now, I see them maybe beating
8: Western Michigan and possibly Minnesota at home. Based on what I'm seeing now, they could come out next Saturday and play well against Illinois, but I think they could actually play well against Illinois Saturday and still lose the game. I just don't think they have the personnel to compete with Illinois, as strange as that sounds, but two or three years of subpar recruiting and a lot of attrition, I think, has just depleted this roster down to where is one of the least talented teams in the Big Ten
2: predictions for the record again. I think you're probably still sticking with what you said the last couple of weeks.
8: I think they're going to go four and eight. That's my guess now. I think they're going to beat Western Michigan and Minnesota. Possibly win at home against Michigan State. Maybe five and seven at the
2: best. If Iowa ends up with that kind of a record, what kind of changes would you expect to see? Would would there be changes in the assistant coaching positions? What kind of criteria do you think Gary Barda will use to evaluate the program and and uh, evaluate Kirk? I think he'll
8: trust a lot of what Kirk has to say and I I don't see Kirk getting rid of his assistant coaches. Hopefully at some stage, maybe a couple of the older ones. I think when you're struggling, you got coaches, some of them 65, pushing 70 years old. I think maybe it is time to maybe try something else, but I don't see Kirk unless he's forced to. I don't see Kirk getting rid of any of his coaches. I just don't see it happen. I mean, he and Ken O'Keefe, long before they were assistant coaches, they were friends. I mean, they're friends too. And I think that's gonna be a real trouble spot because I know that's what fans want. And I'm not totally convinced that assistant coaches are gonna be the right answer, but something's gotta happen because what's going on now is just unacceptable.
2: If you were in charge, if you were the athletic director, what kinds of things would you consider doing? I'd try to bring
8: in maybe a couple young people who are known for recruiting, who have recruiting contacts in certain areas. If you look at Illinois, one of the biggest keys for Illinois has been assistant coach Mike Loxley, who's also their offensive coordinator. He's recruited in the Washington, D.C. area and gotten like Ben and what You need to get people that have the kind of personalities and connections and what have you that can get some of these recruits to maybe overlook the fact that this is Iowa City, because let's face it, a lot of kids don't want to live in Iowa City for four years. they got to overcome that. I think they need to get some good, better recruiters on their staff. That would be my big thing.
2: Do you think Barta might be visiting now with Kirk during the
8: season? I think during the season he's taking a hands-off approach, which to me is probably the right thing. Kirk's got enough on his mind now. He doesn't need Gary to tell him this stuff. But I think once the season ends, I think he and Gary are going to sit down and kind of go over things, and that's when it'll get interesting. But during the season, I think you got to let it play out.
2: Your keys to the Illinois
8: game? The offense has to try to do something. They can't fall behind this team because when they fall behind, teams know they're going to pass. They're just going to blitz and blitz and blitz and it's just going to get ugly. They have to try to do something. They have to try to do something on offense early to try to get the momentum and get the crowd in the game. And they got to figure out a way to keep Illinois' offense off the field, too. I know Iowa's defense, personally, I think it's a little overrated, but that's the strength of the team. But Illinois' offense, that wishbone and the way they run the option, not the wishbone, the way they run the option and how they pass off that to me, that's a big problem. I just think Illinois has better players right now, so the Iowa offense has got to play above its head.
2: Any other thoughts this week? Now I'm getting to the point where I just
8: expect them to lose. I can almost picture Saturday's game in my head. I can see them being close for a while because it's at home, but then I eventually I see the opponent's talent prevailing.
3: It's here, Hawkeyes Mike is for Iowa fans by Iowa fans. It's Hawks Sports Talk Radio on the internet. Your chance as a Hawkeye fan to make your voice heard on men's and women's sports weekly on HawkeyesMike.com. Today's Hawkeyes Mike program is made possible in part by The Lodge Apartments in Iowa City, the finest in student living, your home away from home. Call 319 358 3500 or go to www.thelodge at ui.com. And by Morgan Stanley, Financial Advisors of Curlville. Call 319 338 5184 or for all your investment needs. Saturday is Blackout Saturday at
2: Kinnick Stadium. I said it a couple of weeks ago and will repeat it now. It would be great if the coaches and sideline staff came out in black, along with the vast majority of Iowa fans. That would be very cool. It would also show solidarity and it might shake things up a little bit.
0: That's it. I'm out
2: of here. Just a reminder that following every football game this fall, questions will be posted on the HawkeyesMike.com website. You can respond to those or offer whatever opinions you like. The toll-free hotline will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. To get your comments included in next week's show, please call by Tuesday evening. 866-74-HAWKS. The new podcast should be available for listening or downloading on Wednesday afternoons. Again, just call
3: 866-74-HAWKS to make your voice heard. Hawkeyes Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. Looking ahead to the Illinois game
2: and echoing some of the thoughts of Marv and Pat, it certainly doesn't get any easier this Saturday with a resurgent fighting Illini coming to Iowa City and looking for some measure of revenge. Clearly, Illinois is a team on the rise and they're coming off of two major wins over Penn State and Wisconsin. You'd like to see Iowa play an inspired game, be aggressive, show a lot of effort, especially in front of the home crowd, get some points early, and give themselves at least some chance of winning. That would get the crowd into it and it would help keep the defense off the field. That will be a very tall order, though, given what we've seen from the Iowa offense thus far, and nobody has been able to shut down the Illinois offense yet this season. A loss this week would really put the Hawks in a hole, with the Purdue game coming up the following Saturday, and it will make it just that much more difficult to maintain this team's confidence going into the last five games of the season. We're at the midpoint in the 2007 season, and barring a stunning turnaround beginning this Saturday, any bowl game looks highly unlikely this year. Thanks, just just aren't looking very rosy for the Hawks right now. No pun intended.
0: This will stretch their conference losing streak to eight straight games lost in the Big Ten, stretching back to last year. That is uh, that is
1: alarm.
4: That's
1: a whole Big Ten season, Kirk Ferentz.
7: No, no chance that he's in danger. I mean, he is firmly
1: in place as a head coach and they're not going to pull the ripcord there for quite some time. And he has put together a heck of a program over the last eight to nine years, but they are going to have to fight their way out of this skid. And you know, without the, any weapons on the outside offensively, I don't know where Jake Christensen
2: is going to get the productivity. Our thanks to ESPN on ABC and thanks again to our regular contributors, Marv Cook and Pat Hardy and of course to our callers. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard. 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. We encourage new callers, phone into Hawkeyes Mike. make yourself heard, then listen to yourself on the podcast, and invite your friends and family to listen. They can call in too. It's going to be all Hawkeyes, all the time, on HawkeyesMike.com for Iowa fans, by Iowa fans.
7: Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it.
2: This has been a presentation of HawkeyesMike.com and Enlightened Vision, LLC.